0: This morning, we're going to take a break in 2 Corinthians 10 and be in Hebrews chapter 6. I was reading in my devotions and just was really encouraged by Hebrews chapter 6, so we'll be there this morning. Hebrews 6, verse 9. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercies that are new this morning. Thank you for the anchor for our souls, the hope of eternal life. And we pray that we would be encouraged this morning. So would you bless our time in your word? We want to take a moment to, to worship you. Thank you for you being our father. Thank you for your comfort and your peace. Thank you for your, your presence with us. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Anchors are pretty incredible inventions when you stop and think about it. You've got these amazing boats uh, out on the ocean. The ocean winds and the currents, but yet the anchor goes down to the bottom of the ocean is able to hold that ship uh, steadfast. And as we'll read this morning is that we have an anchor for our soul. We have an opportunity for our soul to be anchored. And I think we really need it as we look at the times that we're living in and all that we went through uh, last year, the uncertainty of the 2021, to really have our soul anchored. And I want to let you know that the anchor to our soul is upward, not downward. As we're going to read, we cast our anchor up to heaven at the very throne room of God, and it then causes our soul to be steadfast. Our our soul is our mind, our emotion, our will. It's our inner man. It's that part of us that many people don't see, and we can have a steadfast soul in the midst of uncertain times. As you look back on last year, on on 2020, do you go, man, it got the best of me. There was times where I was just overwhelmed. There was times I was discouraged. Maybe it was because of of COVID. Maybe it was because of trials that we went through personally, and to look forward into 2021 and go, I I desire to have an anchored soul. I I desire for my soul to be steadfast in the hope of heaven. So would you join me in verse 9? It says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation that we speak in this manner. The author of Hebrews has just warned those that are drifting away from Christ, that are falling away from Christ, but now he encourages those that are walking strong and says there's things in your life that are accompanying salvation. This isn't works-based salvation, trying to earn or deserve your uh, salvation, but it's the reality of the Spirit of God in your life. The evidence, the fruit that your life belongs to Christ. You think about a stone that's thrown into a pond or a lake and it has impact. And as God's grace and his salvation and forgiveness comes into our lives, there is impact. In verse 10, for God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you've shown towards his name, and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. Five points this morning, if you're taking notes, the first is reward. We have an anchored soul because God promises us a reward. It says that God is not unjust, that he remembers your labor of love, your work, as you have ministered to the saints, as you've encouraged brothers and sisters in Christ. It seems that this group of believers is at a place of discouragement. They're at a place where they've gotten weary. They're wondering, Does it really matter that I serve the Lord? Does anybody notice? And maybe even are to the point of backing off from from service. Paul encourages us in 1 Thessalonians to not be weary in doing good. There's been something about this year that's brought about a lot of discouragement in, in 2020. And maybe you've wrestled with, I don't know if it's worth serving the Lord. And I want you to know that God sees your work. And he's not gonna be unjust. He's gonna provide that reward. He sees your, your labor of love. Maybe you've reached out to other brothers and sisters in Christ and felt like, man, they didn't really reach back to me or they didn't really appreciate the service that I, I gave them. God sees and God knows. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10 that if we give a cup of cold water to a child in his name, that he'll reward. Seems like a fairly simple thing. To give a child a, a cup of cold water. But God sees it and He's going to provide the, the reward. In Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lists three things charitable deeds, your, your good works that you do unto the Father, that God's going to reward for those. Also, prayer. You wouldn't think that God would reward us for prayer, but He says if we pray in private, not to be seen by others, that he's going to reward. Fasting, choosing to give up food for the purpose of, of prayer and drawing near to the Lord. The idea of reward really moved the Apostle Paul. At the end of his life, he says, I've kept the faith, I've finished the race, I've fought the fight, I've, I've finished what God has called me to do, and there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And he also says that that, that crown is for everyone who loves Christ's appearing. Apparently God's gonna give a reward just for everybody that loves Christ's appearing. Do you love Christ's appearing? Are you looking forward to a Christ returning? But I want God's word to encourage you this morning and, and inspire you this morning that, that there is a reward coming for living for the Lord. You're never going to regret living for the reward. And there's times that God graciously gives a reward in this life, but in eternal life, that reward's gonna be there. So don't ever get to that place of saying, you know, it's not worth it. I'm going to stop serving the Lord. You'll never, never regret serving the Lord. There's a reward coming, and may that reward provide anchor for our soul. Verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. God wants us living our lives, going through our days in a place of full assurance of hope. Now, what's hope from a biblical perspective? Hope is not a wish or a whim. It's not a, I hope the Broncos win. That's not biblical hope. Haven't the Broncos been terrible this year? Just, man, but the Chiefs, the Chiefs have done so well, it's just brutal. So my mother-in-law grew up in Kansas City, my father-in-law grew up in Denver, and they're both diehard football fans. So it gets a little frosty when the Broncos play the Chiefs. But my father-in-law surprised me this year. He actually bought my mother-in-law a Chiefs coffee cup. That was a labor of love right there. So, But biblical hope is not, well, I hope the Broncos are going to win this year. Biblical hope is this confident expectation of coming good, to know that God is good, who he is in his character and nature and that he does good, and even though there's difficult circumstances and seasons and trials in our life, that we're going through our life saying, I may not see it, but I have this full assurance of hope. I have this confidence of hope, and hope is so important in our lives. When we lose hope, it really brings about great discouragement. So we go on into verse 12, and we see our our second point, and do not become sluggish, number two. There's several warnings that are given to us in the book of Hebrews, this is one of them, and it's to not become sluggish. God must know that there's a tendency for us to become sluggish spiritually. Sluggish means, as as you know, is you're despondent, you're inactive, there's a a lack of energy, there's no desire to, to do anything. And spiritually, that's a condition that we can fall into. We're the children of God. We're we're going to heaven, but we're despondent. There's a lack of energy. There's a lack of desire. We don't want to press into the things of God. We're not drawing near to him, not serving others, unwilling to consider steps of faith. And there was something about 2020 that just seemed to make us sluggish. Being out of our routine, maybe struggling with with fear, financial difficulty, being relationally isolated, and the end result is spiritually we could just kind of be sluggish. If we are in that place where we are sluggish, we don't have to stay there. How are you at heeding warnings? Yesterday I noticed in my minivan, our minivan, that I need to get the oil changed. The light went on saying, hey, it's time to get the oil changed. To look at the sticker, sure enough. Now, if I'm wise, I'm going to get the oil changed this week. How do you do with the gas light that comes on? Do you heed that warning and go get gas? Unfortunately, I've read the owner's manual, and I know that when the gas light comes on, I really have three more gallons. That hasn't served me well sometimes. Push it a little too far and, and run out of gas how about yellow lights? What does that mean for you? What does the yellow light mean for you? Hit the gas, right? So God's giving us a warning here. Don't be sluggish. Don't allow this spiritual condition to set in where, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I live for the Lord. It doesn't matter if I draw near to the Lord. It doesn't matter if I reach out uh, to others. The enemy to our soul, Satan, would love for us to be sluggish. If he can't get us to deny Christ, he'd simply kind of want us to to disconnect. We can get to a place spiritually where we're going through the motions, we're on the treadmill, but our heart isn't engaged. Don't allow our emotions to dictate us, to drive the train. Okay, Lord, I'm feeling sluggish, but I'm going to choose to pursue you whether I feel like it or not. I don't ever feel like going to the gym, or very rarely. But afterwards, I'm usually thankful that I went. And it's the same way with spiritual disciplines. We may not always feel like reading the word, feel like being in prayer, feel like being in fellowship, reaching out to those that don't know Christ their Savior. But as we press into those actions, then our feelings will follow. Our feelings will will come. In line. So we can choose to not dwell in this place of being spiritually slu- sluggish, to allow the Lord to wake us up and to pursue him wholeheartedly. Number three is example. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Imitating is such a powerful way of learning. I was fascinating to watch our kids as they were young learning through imitation and also humbling. It's like, where did you learn that? Oh, I must do that, right? You learned that from, from dad. But kids learn through imitating. And this is the way that we can learn as well as we look at those that have inherited God's promises. <clears throat> we go, how did they inherit God's promises? Through faith and patience and endurance. Those are the two virtues, the two values that we're to follow is someone who has trusted the Lord and inherited God's promise. Faith is a big part of us experiencing the promises of God. It's a theme throughout the book of Hebrews. In chapter 3, Hebrews tells us that the children of Israel couldn't go into the promised land. They were delivered from Egypt but died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. They believed God could deliver them from Pharaoh, provide for them in the wilderness, manna from heaven, part the Red Sea. But when it came to these huge giants that they saw, they had unbelief. Unbelief is gonna keep us from enjoying the rest of God's presence. In chapter four, Hebrews tells us that they heard the word. The problem wasn't access to the word, but there was not faith. And so the word of God profited them nothing that's humbling. That's scary to know if there isn't faith, then reading the word, hearing the word could profit us nothing. We, we l- listen to the word this morning, but there's no gain. There's no profit because it wasn't mixed with, with faith. We can read the promises of God, but if we're not trusting what we're reading, then there's no profit. There's, there's no gain there. Later in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that it's impossible to please God without faith. Without, without trusting him. Hope flows into our lives as we trust. We go, God, I don't understand this. What, what a bizarre 2020. What an uncertain 2021. But I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to put my personal difficulty in your hand. Then have patience. Then have endurance. Continue to trust the Lord. Continue to go, okay, I'm gonna see God's word worked out in my life over time. The example that we're given in this chapter is Abraham, as we'll see in the next uh, few verses. If you want to study this more, looking for biblical examples, read Hebrews chapter 11. It gives us the hall of faith of those that have trusted the Lord. So let me walk you through Abraham's life just a little bit. Is Abraham was called by God to leave Ur of the Chaldees to go to a land that God would show them. Difficult. Hey, babe, we're moving. Where are we moving to? Well, we'll know when we get there. (laughs) Just gonna drive the U-Haul around until the Lord shows us that we're in the right place. God promised to Abraham and Sarah to give them a child, to bless them and make him father of many nations. In fact, God changed his name. His name was Abram, which means exalted father, changed it to Abraham, which means father of multitudes or father of, of nations. That would be a hard one to explain. Hey, could you please call me Abraham, father of nations? Oh, and by the way, I don't have any kids. So he had to even embrace his name through faith. Gets to the land of Canaan, God says, this is the land that I'm gonna give to your descendants. Well, wait a second, I don't have any kids. And Abraham falters. Sarah comes to him and says, hey, look, this is not happening. The days go by, the months go by, the years go by, we don't have kids, so why don't you take my handmaiden Hagar to fulfill God's promise? Have you ever been there where you're like, man, God, your word's just not getting fulfilled in my life. I read this promise, but I'm not experiencing it, so I've got to try to make this happen. And we have a Hagar moment. We try to accomplish it in our our own strength, and Ishmael is born. And what's incredible to me about Abraham is that he continued to trust God even in his own failures. Abraham didn't go, well, I messed up, so God's promise to me is canceled. Those God is going to be faithful to give us a child through my relationship with Sarah, even though I faltered. And to trust God even in the midst of our failure that we're faithless but he remains faithful and God gave to them their promised son Isaac after 25 years. Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. They're well past the age of bearing kids. God does the impossible. He inherited God's promise through endurance. And God's word's gonna be accomplished in our lives. His promises are gonna be true in our lives over time as we trust the Lord, as we continue to walk in obedience to the Lord. So we're encouraged in faith, we're encouraged in endurance. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. Obviously there's no one greater than God. So God can't make an oath or swear, make a commitment, by anyone else. He's going to commit inside of his own character, inside of who he is. So when he spoke to Abraham, he said, surely I will bless you and I will multiply you. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. There again, we have the highlight of patient endurance, continuing to trust God. For men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all disputes. So maybe you're having an argument and someone goes, well, I swear on my mother's grave. You, you can trust me because I'm swearing on my mother's grave. I'm making an oath based on someone who is greater than me. God doesn't desire that we would do that. He simply desires our yes would be yes. And we shouldn't have to tell somebody, well, I swear on my mother's grave, I'll really be there to help you move on Friday, right? should be enough that we we commit to do this. But this is a common practice. People will swear, make a commitment based on someone that's greater than themselves, but God doesn't have to do that. In verse 17, thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed by an oath. Immutability is unchanging. The heirs of the promise were Abraham and Sarah. God wanted to show Abraham and Sarah that his counsel doesn't change. I bet there was times when Abraham and Sarah were like, God, did you change your mind? God, did I hear you right? Are we really going to have children? Are you really going to multiply our descendants as the stars? But God hadn't changed his mind. God's word, his counsel is immutable. Immutable. We can trust the word of God, that God is going to be faithful to his word. Promises like John 3, 16, for God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad God doesn't change his mind on that promise? That God's not going, okay, that that one's a little too benevolent. That one's a little too kind. I'm going to go ahead and back off of, of that promise. Part of this journey with the Lord is for us to see that God is immutable, that his word is unchanging. Romans 8 28, for all things work together for good to those that love God and who are called according to his purpose. Good from whose perspective? Mine or God's? Thankfully flee from God's. So from God's perspective, he's working good in my life, even when it doesn't feel like it. His counsel is immutable it, it doesn't change. Jeremiah 29:11 for I know the thoughts I think towards you says the Lord that of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope we we hold on to that through faith that that's an anchor to our soul we go on there's two things promised that are immutable that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. First thing that's immutable, it's impossible for God to lie. It's not in his character or in his nature to be deceptive with us, to lie, to go back on his word. The fact that God doesn't change, that his word doesn't change, then provides the second immutable thing, which is a strong consolation, and brings us to our fourth point a refuge. We get to flee to a refuge. We get to lay hold of hope because God doesn't change. The important part of this refuge is we have to flee to it. We've got to go to it. It's not enough to know that the refuge is there, we have to take advantage of it. In Psalms 46, verse 1, God says that he is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. If you're in a time of trouble this morning, God is a very present help. He's a refuge. In Psalms 90, in in verse 1, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Over the week of Christmas, we were talking about family members and some family members that have passed away. And I grew up knowing my great-grandma. She passed away when I was 14, 15 years old. I remember her 100th birthday. She lived to be 101. She was born in the 1890s. I don't remember this specific year. Think about all the things that she experienced in that 100-year period. She would tell us stories of coming to Oregon on the Oregon Trail in a covered wagon as a girl. She lived through World War I, the Great Depression, World War II. She saw cars come into being, TVs, electricity. How about indoor plumbing? Come on. She started off in the outhouse and ended up with indoor plumbing. That generation, many describe it as the greatest generation, went through incredible hardship yet they found God to be a worthwhile dwelling place, a worthwhile refuge. You can look at all of the generations and all that the generations have gone through, and God has been faithful. And he has been a refuge for us to be able to to come to. Proverbs 18.10 says that the Lord is a strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Are we running into our refuge, the very person of God, who He is, His goodness, Him being our Father, the Father of mercies, and in trust, then dwelling in that place of of refuge. Notice the language that's here for us in verse 18. It says, lay hold of hope set before us. The hope is set before us. The hope, as we'll see, is us going to heaven and us forever being with the Lord, but we've got to lay hold of that hope. That's our job. That's our, that's our responsibility, is to say, I'm putting my hope in the fact that I'm going to forever be with the Lord. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He was looking forward to what was going to be, being in glory with the Father, inheriting us, his, his bride. Are we laying hold of that hope? It's easy to get hopeless, isn't it? It's easy to get despondent. But for us to say, I'm laying hold of the hope that God has for me, the internal life that that he has granted to me, does bring us to our last point, which is hope in verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We have this hope, the anchor of our soul. Where's the location of our hope? Where's the location of our anchor? The Bible tells us, even in the very presence of the Father behind the veil. In Jesus, in the person of Jesus, who's the forerunner, The forerunner is someone who goes before and prepares the way. Jesus has gone before and prepared the way. Through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, ascension, to be with the Father throughout the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus is seated next to the Father on the throne. Here, we're told that it's behind the veil. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was a shadow or a picture of the throne room of God. So Jesus is our living hope, seated on the throne. That's the anchor for our soul. And he promised that he's gonna take us to heaven. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come and receive you unto myself. So our anchor is upward, not downward. Up, not down. So where is your soul anchored? We're going to put our soul into something. Isn't that interesting? We're going to put our mind, our emotion into something. We're going to put our expectation, our hope on something. Is it earthly? Is it the things of, of this life? Do you sleep better at night because you got a generator? Like if things really hit the fan, I got a generator. Nothing wrong with the generator, but your generator should not make you sleep better at night. Do you sleep better at night because you got a lot of ammo? I mean, ammo sales are just like going out the roof. Good luck trying to find nine millimeter ammunition, right? Now I enjoy guns. I'm a hunter, I enjoy shooting, and see the value of protecting your family. And I have some ammunition, I'm not gonna lie but my sleep is not based on my ammunition or lack thereof. Let's be honest. If things get really bad, you don't have enough ammunition. You you, you can't buy enough ammunition. Your trust has to to be in the Lord. So again, nothing wrong with those things, but really what's anchoring your soul? I hope it's not in some preparation that we've done. Is our soul anchored in finances? And we find ourselves a lot more secure if the economy is doing well. But if the economy tanks, all of a sudden, our hope starts to diminish. Is our hope anchored in our health? And all of a sudden, our health changes. And our health is very mutable. It's very changeable. And all of a sudden, the hope for the future starts to diminish because my, my health is diminished. Relationships, is that the hope for our soul? And all of a sudden you hit rocky times in a relationship and your hope is, is completely gone. See, if we put our hope in the things of this world, now there's nothing wrong with enjoying those things, but it's where we put our stock, it's where we put our trust. It's where we put our, our expectation. And I've gotta tell you, for, for me, I find that too much of my soul is anchored to stuff here. And not enough of my hope is, is anchored at the throne room of God in the person of, of Jesus Christ. And some would say, well, if you really put your hope in heaven, how are you gonna be any earthly good? It sounds like to me that you'll become disconnected from the things of this life. I I don't think that that's true. One is God commands us to be heavenly minded, to set our mind on things above. And if we're really focused on heaven, I think we'll have greater impact here in this life. So it's not, well, I'm looking forward to heaven, so I'm going to check out on this life. It's I'm looking forward to heaven, so I'm going to love Christ and I'm going to love others because others are going to live for eternity. So I'm going to serve brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to reach out to those that don't know Christ as our savior. So it's not a disengagement from this life, but it's an engagement with a different perspective. Allow our souls to be anchored. I imagine that we'll be tested on this in 2021. We're going to continue to be challenged. Where's our hope? And is our hope really anchored upward or downward with the things of this life. We're left with that Jesus is our high priest. Through the book of Hebrews, we're told that Jesus is also the sacrifice. He's the lamb. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But he's also the high priest. We're told in Hebrews that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's there with the father praying for you. You have Jesus praying for you today. You have Jesus as your advocate. Jesus is the one who's provided the sacrifice for your sins. What's this business about the order of Melchizedek? Normally, priests would be of the tribe of Levi, descendants of Aaron, but Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. So he comes from a different order of priests, and it's the line of Melchizedek, the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a king and priest, It showed up on the pages of Genesis and Abraham offered his tithe to Melchizedek. And here Hebrews tells us that Jesus came from the order of Melchizedek. So let's do some soul searching this morning. Have you become a little bit sluggish? A little bit despondent? Is there a bit of lack of energy? 2020 was hard. I'm gonna throw in the towel. Well, what does it really matter? Hey, there's a reward coming. It matters. You're never going to regret living for the Lord. Don't get weary in doing good. Take action that lines up with getting out of that sluggish state. You know, quarantine was kind of nice back in March. Now we're tired of looking at those same four walls, aren't we? It's like, man, Everybody's like I really enjoyed the family time in March. Now everybody's saying I've had a little too much family time. We need to get back into our our routines. And if we're not careful, we can just disconnect and get sluggish. So what does it mean to step out of that place of being sluggish? Pursue the Lord. Is your faith weak? As we talked about the importance of faith. What do we do if our faith is weak? I see the importance of faith, but my faith is weak. Be honest with the Lord. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's a beautiful place to be. We know faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I was talking with a guy in our church. He's probably in his mid-20s, and he was saying that while he works out, he enjoys listening to the audio Bible. Then he told me he, he listens to it on CD. It's like, dude, you're a dinosaur. He picked up the audio Bible for 10 bucks on CD, and plays it in his car and has a CD player while he's, he's working out. It's like, bro, there's an easier way. There's so many apps that will read the Bible to you, right, download an app. And that could be the thing for 2021 is, is I'm gonna listen to the audio Bible as I'm driving. Most of us spend enough time in the car to be able to to listen to the audio Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the the word of God. We're built up as we hear God's word, as we we read God's word. But take action to move us out of that sluggish state. God, I'm pursuing you in prayer, pursuing you in your word, pursuing you in, in serving others. And then is it possible that we've lost our hope? Is it possible that we've gotten disappointed with the things here on earth and the way things are, are looking and working out and we're going through our days hopeless and God's saying, look, I'm still on the throne. I haven't changed. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm immutable. Come to the Lord as your, your refuge and, and put your hope there. Put your hope in the certainty of eternal life. So let's stand together and let's pray and pray this in this morning. Father, you know us and you know that there's times where we get sluggish, we get weary, we feel like giving up. There's times that it's revealed that our hope is in things of this life instead of eternal life. We pray that by your grace that you would give us a a vision of heaven. We choose to cast our anchor upward to know that you, Jesus, are our living hope and that we're going to forever be with you and that you rule and reign. Father, we come to you for you to be our refuge. We put our problems and our concerns in your lap as our Heavenly Father. Would you provide your comfort and would you provide your your peace? Where we've become spiritually sluggish and inactive and disengaged, we choose to press into you. So Father, would you bring your word to life in our hearts and in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen.